On this episode of AV Week, Harman Pro has a brand new president, private equity investing in the AV industry, and Cisco is suing Neat. All that and more, next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode 440, recorded Friday, January 24th, 2020. Investing in AV. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Atlas IED, innovative audio solutions for every business environment. And by Daylight, the leading producer of high-quality projection screens worldwide. And by AV ProEdge, manufacturer of next-level video distribution solutions. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host with us to discuss the news and information we have gathered this week. First and foremost, my buddy and pal, Mr. Brock McGinnis from Avatas. Welcome, sir. Hello, Tim. Good to be here as usual. Good to see you, sir. A uh, couple newbies, so I guess Brock be nice, and I guess me be nice. Uh, first of all, uh, Mr. Michael Lisi from Wolf Vision. Welcome, sir. Thank you. Uh, and also Mr. Chris Gibbs, uh, who we've interacted with quite a bit when around DSD, but Chris is from Expo Nation, the folks that put on Digital Science Expo. Welcome, sir. Thank you. Happy to be here, Tim. Awesome. Um, and this, not for nothing, but, you know, I like hockey, and this weekend in St. Louis is the NHL All-Star Game. So I guess go west um, if, if I'm being a homer. Is that right? Yeah, go west. So, you would be west. Yeah, I would be west. And they've, they've, I've, here's the problem. I'm so old that I've, I've watched hockey for so long. I, I remember when the Blues were in the Norris division. So, again, you know, all yeah. kinds of, if you didn't watch hockey, you wouldn't get any of that. All right, guys. Uh, first story actually comes to us and our, and our, uh, our new editor, uh, Lenore and Lane. Talking about Cisco suing somebody again. Cisco is su- suing Neat and a number of their former employees at, and former um, actually, Tamberg employees, uh, according to the, to the lawsuit, according to Cisco, uh, quote unquote, Cisco uh, has initiated a legal process against Neat and former employees for violating intellectual property rules. As a first step, the authorities have secured evidence from Neat and the and the people linked to Cisco's lawsuit. As one might expect, we act resolutely to protect Cisco's significant investment in research and development and valuable intellectual property. Mr. McGinnis, we'll start with you on this. What does this mean for the future of, of, of kind of unified communications? You see, uh, NEAT is, is led by a bunch of former Cisco and former, and former Tambor folks. They say, the NEAT folks say that this is their own stuff, this is their own ideas, uh, that Cisco is overreaching here. So what do lawsuits like this do to innovation and, and the future of UC? Uh, I don't think it's a problem with innovation. Um, Neat came out of nowhere. Uh, They're being funded by Zoom, uh, as I'm sure you're aware, or at least partially funded. Uh, And all of a sudden, uh, earlier this year or or, uh, late last year, they are on the scene. They are a great threat to integrators. It looks like uh, Zoom is going to be in the hardware business, uh, which scared the pants off a lot of big integrators who were... uh, uh, trying to make a living selling Zoom rooms. Um, I, uh, uh, I tend to have a lot of respect for Cisco. Uh, I don't think that their patent trolls 
uh, you know, their transaction with, uh, with Tanberg was a long, long time ago. And um, if, uh, you know, uh, NEAT is no threat to Cisco, so Cisco must believe that NEAT is using property, intellectual property, that is rightfully Cisco's. Um, because they're not a threat. This is not like the clear one and sure uh, uh, brouhaha that's going on in another segment of the industry. Still so I, I, I think it's fascinating to watch. I think that this will set neat back a bit, and I don't think that most of the traditional AV industry is going to mind that. Okay, very good. Uh, Mr. Lisi, uh, you work for Wolf Vision, a manufacturer. You have nothing, at least uh, as of right now, I know of any any sort of interaction with this lawsuit. Uh, but as a manufacturer, what does what do things like this do? Uh, not only you know, as we're all going into ISE, uh, which is a huge trade show, uh, Cisco will be there. But also when you're interacting with with your clients and, and you're trying to communicate, you know, the stability of your of your business, the stability of your company, even in the midst of a lawsuit like this, where somebody is claiming the things you're selling is violating, you know, th their rights? Well, I think the, the biggest challenge here and why we should, I think any manufacturer should be afraid of these kinds of things a bit. And also, I think we need to consider how we can protect companies like Neat because Cisco knows how to play the game. They've got an army of lawyers. And if you just look at their past habits, I mean, look at how they they neutralized Huawei and ZTE before they became a threat simply by kind of a red scare tactic, moving into Congress and saying, oh, they're spying on us and they've got all kinds of spyware and every switch. And, and they've got a lot of people saying, hey, if I was you, I wouldn't put any important data on a Huawei network switch. And that was right after Huawei showed up at Interop with a booth that rivaled Cisco's with immersive telepresence and such. They hired a lot of great channel people. And instead of Cisco fighting them head on, they just used a PR campaign and basically took them out at the knees. And nobody would buy a Huawei switch after that. And Huawei no hasn't been able to get back in the U.S. So you can, Cisco, it's not like, oh, Cisco doesn't know how to use these tools. They've, they use uh, not only PR defamation, but I would even say like legal battles as a, as a competitive mechanism. And they've done it before. So, so now let's look at a small startup. Whether there is something to uh, Cisco's claim or not, doesn't matter. They can lock them up in, in courts. They can defame them globally. They can threaten them. And by the time Neat comes out of this thing, having spent millions of dollars defending himself, no one will care. The news cycle will move on, and no one will remember that whether they actually did it or not. Do you know if Huawei actually cooperated or not? No, you don't care. It's too late. It's years past it. By the time Neat comes out of the woods, it's over. And that's, I think we need to maybe consider how do we defend these kinds of things and don't let kind of the, the bullies just beat up little manufacturers because some of these new companies are bringing some of the most game-changing uh, technology or, or new ways of doing things. And if we just stymie them and just cut them off at the knees and don't even give them a chance to come out, you know, what does that mean for the industry? Does that keep us in the dark ages? I, I think we need to have some more protections for smaller manufacturers like that. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things is, is Huawei itself and, got put on a on a government watch list and a government blacklist uh, in essence here in the states uh, government blacklist so no uh government employees could could own at least for uh, official purposes uh cell phones and, and and other other devices as well 
Um, the uh, Tim, if I can just interject, yeah. uh, because this is this is current news. So the CFO of Huawei, the founder's daughter, uh, is currently on trial in Canada. This is an extradition trial. She has been charged by the government of the United States with espionage mm -hmm. and with fraud. Um, and uh, Canada had the misfortune of uh, of arresting her uh, because she was in transit through Canada at the request of the American government, uh, and 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 this is ongoing. It's um, uh, I don't <laughs> I don't know if that was a PR tactic or in fact this is a uh, you know that this is actual uh, state operated uh, espionage. But I I will come back to something that uh, uh, or respond to something that that. Uh, Mike said, um, is it possible that uh, NEAT is a surrogate for Zoom at this point? That perhaps, uh, you know, Cisco can't be commercially concerned about NEAT, but perhaps they are uh, and, and, um, and, and should be concerned about Zoom, and they are in fact chasing NEAT uh, rather than going after Zoom directly. And doing it early, yeah. right? Yes, right. So and that's that's. I mean, Cisco didn't become a great company because they're clueless on how to how to compete in the marketplace. They know what they're doing, and they've got right. a lot of a lot of power behind them. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Chris, I bring you in on this. When you've got DSD uh, coming up here in in uh, late April, late March, early April, um, you've got two manufacturers right uh, on your show floor that are going after each other. How do you how do you help your you know the people the attendees coming into that, but also help the manufacturers kind of you know put those things aside as we are all you know the the, the majority of of the AV industry uh, is going into ISE here. Put those things aside. Yes, there are lawyers involved, and yes, that there there will be court battles involved. But as we're going into trade shows and, and looking at the different products, how do we set those things aside and, and you know look at the the benefits and, and the tenants of each you know, product independently? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think, I think you, <laughs> you have to put those things aside. I mean, in our industry, we've had patent trolls. I'm not calling Cisco a patent troll at all, for the record. Um, but as, as far as you know, people going after patents and protecting their intellectual property, I mean, those laws are put in place for a reason. Um, and I think you have organizations that um, abuse those and you have other organizations more like Cisco that are protecting the business that they've invested in over the past however many years they've been in business, what, 20, 30 years they've been in business. So I think there's a fine line um, in, in, um, in protecting your property. And I've seen other organizations that create a patent just for the sake of creating a patent and then just chase down for a money grab. And obviously that's not what this is here, but we've seen that in our industry in the digital signage industry. Um, over the past few years. It's calmed down a little bit. It might be getting ratcheted back up here pretty soon. Um, but that's one interesting side of kind of relatable to this story that I see. Uh, but to answer your question, the, you know, I think the, I think you have to go to, you know, what are you trying to accomplish by coming to a show, right? And, and, and stay out of the politics and, and really go to what are you trying to accomplish? What project are you trying to fulfill? And who is the best organization to do that? Um, you know, I think you, people can get caught up in a lot of this, a lot of this type of news, um, and it clouds their vision and, 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 and what they're really trying to accomplish, which is to make money for your company. 
right? I mean, Wolf Vision wants to make money for your company. Brock, you want to make money for your company. I want money for our company. That's why we're in business. Um, so I think it's, I think some of this stuff can, can kind of cloud that. Um, so I think it's, you know, staying focused on why you're at the event and why you invested to come to the event. Um, and this other stuff will work itself out in, you know, in the end. Yeah, yeah, as long as no one storms your booth. Right. <laughs> there <laughs> there have fine. been instances of that. Yes. No. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, or I've also seen theft. I mean, we have uh, commercial lighting shows that we also produce. And um, we've had companies say, I had product on my, on my uh, counter. We left last night and now it's gone. Now it's gone. Um, you know, and a lot of the four manufacturers are stealing design product ideas and then manufacturing them for, you know, a fifth the cost and then producing them, you know, and selling them for a lot less as well. So, you know, company, we, we have a patent, we have a trademark on DSC, the Digital Science Expo and our, and our logo, as um, you know, I'm sure Wolf Vision you do as well. So it's, you know, so many things that, you know, you have to protect. Um, but in a case like this, you got to, you know, you got to wonder, is a company as big as Cisco going up against them? It's going to be a costly, costly venture, as uh, Michael was saying. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys, uh, next story comes to us from our friends over Innovate on the Net. Harmon Professional Solutions has appointed Brian Devine as division president. Uh, Mr. Devine has worked for Harmon Professional for 15 years, working with distributors and customers in, quote, unquote, all the companies, entertainment and enterprise vertical markets. Uh, interesting piece here. And we actually, we, we didn't do this story the first time it came around. Um, Mr. Devine takes over from, from Mohit uh, Parashar, uh, who led the company for about two, three years here. Mohit uh, oversaw um, the layoffs that Harman did uh, two and a half years ago, uh, 650 people. Um, he wrote a piece in LinkedIn, I guess about two or three weeks ago, where he said, it's been great. Uh, thank you, everybody. Um, but I'm moving on to other things. Uh, that's kind of how he let everybody know that he was leaving. Um, Harman did not officially put out a press release or, or any, any sort of story uh, when uh, Mohit uh, announced that his, his um, his, I guess, retirement or, or, or resignation from, from Harmon. Uh, we reached out. I know a number of other folks did reach out as well. Um, basically, Harmon said, we don't have a comment. Mohit said what he said. He's, he's yes, he's resigning. That's about the extent of it. That was, that's all we have to say. Uh, until, until this week when they, when they did uh, announce and, and uh, name the new, the new president. Michael, we'll start with you on this. Uh, changes at the top is always is always difficult. How do you communicate that with with your customers and your clients? How would we do it, or how would we expect Amex? How to do would it? you How would you do it, or how would you advise somebody to do it well? Well, I, I think it depends on the climate. If if your leader is loved by all, then you got to be really careful. If people have felt like the vision and the direction of the company has been waffling and they're looking for vision and they're kind of waiting to see what you're going to do then and then i think it's an opportunity to promote change like this is a new a new leaf you can expect great things to come i mean and i you look at brian's track record you know he was managing or heading up the touring and cinema division for a few years prior to becoming vp of product management for the last three years and so he was leading the charge in many ways as to what is the unified strategy for co-marketing all of the products under the Harman umbrella. And um, I think what we've seen is all, most of those product lines are still in silos. I mean, the main thing I've seen over the last three years has been maybe a, a grocery shopping, you know, rebate that when you buy products, if you buy more of uh, Harman's products in your system design, you kind of clump a few more products in the mix, whether it's amps or speakers or something, then you get a little discount. But in terms of a real unification of their various technologies and, and maybe even 
some development of, of hardware that integrates more of that technology together, or really the clear communication of what is our vision for the future and where is Harmony going to be. I don't know if we've seen a whole lot of that. I, I'll just leave it to say whatever you've seen in the last three years was under the helm of the person who's now in charge. So will it be different than what you've seen in the last three years? I don't know. I think it'd be a great opportunity for them to communicate that it will be because I yeah. think the industry's be kind of waiting to see, okay, what are they going to do? There was this mass, you know, gathering of all this great technology under one roof. And it's like, what's going to happen with all that? Yeah. yeah that is, that's a good point. The fact that, that Harmon did and, and, and Samsung uh, by extension has, has did a, in the last 15 years or so, 20 years really uh, with the, you know, the original person purchase of, of crown has, has made a consolidation, you know, um, really really for, forefront uh the question is what are they doing with it now um chris uh when you've got you know changes at the top it, it's you know how does that impact you know your go-to-market strategy your go-to-trade show strategy your your you know kind of front facing and, and, and public facing face of the company yeah i mean i would, I would you know for us we're we're a partnership we've been in, in business for 18 years and we haven't had a lot of changes at our top um you know we've had a yeah, probably the biggest way I could relate to it from our side of the business is, you know, the vision of the CEO or that president directly impacts our events, right? Mm -hmm. And I've had, you know, early on, I don't know if you remember wireless roaming technologies back in the day, um, a CMS provider years and years ago, they had a CEO that came in and he was very bullish and biggest booth in the show and spent a lot of money. And then when, when that went away and the company went away, you know, everything changed. So yeah. from our perspective, you know, we, we kind of, I won't say live or die, but the top definitely helps to dictate uh, the marketing strategy and the marketing investment, especially when it comes to uh, the trade show dollar. Yeah. So we could have one year have this person in charge. And then, and even though they had a fantastic event and great leads and everything else, this other person could have a whole different strategy uh, that comes in and says, we're doing this and vice versa. We've had companies who've been chasing for years with no luck and all of a sudden new at the top um, management comes in or leadership and then now they're you know a very large presence in the show. So that's kind of probably the best way I can relate to it from, from our event. All right. Mr. McGinnis, you have the most difficult question uh, for this story. What does this mean for Harmon? So I think this is fantastic news for the people who work at Harmon. Brian Devine is a pro audio guy. He started in Elkhart, Indiana as a marketing guy way back in the 2000s. I think he actually married into the job. Uh, his father-in-law was the CFO uh, of Crown at that uh, point, I believe, if I recall the story correctly, and, and had been at Mark IV, which is Electro Voice before that. Um, the uh, the thing that has been missing at the top of Harmon Pro uh, with Mohit, and I think actually Mohit's actually been in place five years uh, or more than five years, Tim, um, is that uh, is that Mohit came from consumer and telephone uh, telephony uh, cell phones, and and he didn't come from Western markets. He came from Asian markets. And there was this huge disconnect uh, between a lot of the core pro audio people who love, right? We, we, we love what we do. Um, well, uh, Mohit didn't. Uh, it was a it was a business to him, and I'm sure he is a very good businessman, and he's a really smart guy. But uh, but I can also say that he did not 
um, I, I don't believe enjoy the confidence and love of a lot of the core uh, audio and, and uh, control people that worked at that organization. The fact that uh, Dinesh has, um, uh, has chosen to put a long, long-standing employee who comes from the, you know, the very bowels or, or foundation of the business back in charge uh, is, uh, is, uh, uh, harkens to positive things. Um, and Brian's a really nice guy. And Dinesh is the head of, of Harmon overall. So, um, absolutely. So, all right, uh, guys, last story here um, actually comes to us from our friends over AV Magazine. A private equity firm is taking a stake into an integrator in, in the Asia-Pac area. Uh, Bard Capital has acquired a majority stake in the Vega Global Group, the Bard relationship with Vega, uh, better positions the company for growth in all aspects of the pro AV and video conferencing markets, according to the story from, from AV Magazine. Um, Mr. Gibbs, we'll start with you on this. Private equity firms and investment capital has come into the AV industry and come into the AV market, both from a manufacturer standpoint, as well as now integration. Uh, and that has happened over the last 15, 20 years or so. Um, we could probably point back to um, uh, some of the other early on uh, conglomerates that have not, now no longer exist. But there are I have some that actually continue to. What does what does private equity and what does investment mean to both digital signage industry, but also in the AV industry? What is what are those dollars and what does that focus mean uh, for our industries? Uh, I guess from my perspective, it's you know it's more scalability. It's you know an opportunity to you know to grow the business. Um, it, 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 private equity is always always interesting because I, I've heard plenty of great stories and and a lot of um, not so great stories about private equity companies coming in and uh, taking over a business. Um, you know, a lot of these businesses are run by a family, like we were talking about earlier, um, and there's a lot of trust and areas in that. And if 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 that core group, as part of a result of a private equity funding, is taken out, sometimes it can it can react the other way from a relationship perspective. Um, but I think if you know if you're able to keep your core management and core leadership in place that has those relationships and utilize uh, the funds from private equity to scale and grow the business, um, both from AV and manufacturing, um, you know, I think it's a great thing. And I think it's a great thing for us because it's more, you know, more money to invest in marketing opportunities like trade shows. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, from our perspective, it's, a, it's definitely a good thing. But, you know, I, sometimes private equity can be a double-edged sword. Right. Mr. McGinnis, um, as more private equity and more investment dollars get, get funneled into specifically the, the integrators, how do small and medium-sized integrators who do not have those, those dollars, right, um, and for whatever reason don't want them, right, regardless of, of the ownership, maybe it, it is a, a locally owned group, and they have no, no, no desire to retire or they have no desire to, to, to take that sort of, sort of investment on. How do they compete? You know, how do they compete with with a you know three or four five billion dollar hedge fund that is looking to you know invest in this and get a return on it in, in five or ten years? So uh, a few years ago, a very wise man by the name of Julian Phillips, um, an ex uh, ex president of Avixa, uh, Julian's at Whitlock. Julian uh, was quoted in a magazine as saying, "Get big." get niche or get out. Uh, 
And so the opportunity for the smaller integrator is to get niche. Um, and niche right now is about agility. Mm. It, is, it is speed of service. It is quality of service. Uh, it is uh, local uh, touch and feel. It is not having to uh, you know, wait for a change notice to be uh, routed through Tampa or New Jersey or some other uh, headquarters and take, say, three weeks, uh, which uh, a friend was complaining about recently, uh, to make it through the, the processes of a very large uh, and very private equity organized and driven business. So uh, uh, I don't think this is going to be a problem at all. I, I you know, I've, uh, I, I talk to people almost every day across the industry. I hear of people working for some of these gargantuan companies that can't wait just to calve off on their own and start a small boutique firm as, as happens in technical industries and go from a 500 person organization to a five or 15 person organization uh, as uh, some of my former colleagues at Westbury have done. And, and that makes them fast and it makes them more cost effective. Uh, and they may have some better ideas and a better ability to keep certain kinds of customers happy. Uh, and leave the uh, uh, and leave the global gargantuan customers to the global gargantuan integrators. And then that that, that actually is, is is some wise words. Uh, Michael, we'll have the, you'll have the last word on this. What is uh, what is investment? What does investment dollars and equity mean to the AV industry? Well, I think the real story here is how Vega is exploding and what they're doing. And I think that we we can should look at that. So you've got this integrator that has brick and mortar locations in 16 countries yep. around the east and the southeastern area. Now, now put that in perspective, AVISPL only has offices in five countries. Now, AVISPL partners with Vega not too long ago as an integration arm for them servicing large enterprise accounts. And so you have big companies that are looking to unify and standardize their global technology strategy. And they're trying to pare it down to just one or two global integrators like an AVISPL that's going to do business for them. But how are they going to support all these branch offices in, in you know, Southeast Asia and the Philippines or whatever? And so you've got this local integrator that says, ah, make a deal. I'll take care of all that business for you. You don't have to worry about building out an office here and figuring out how our tax laws work. I'll be your remote feed on the street. And that's working for them. They're doing a ton of business and they're exploding. And so now you have this private equity firm um, saying, hey, I want in on that. There's a lot of opportunity here. And I think what you're going to see happen is I think with their investment, Vega is going to explode into more countries and present themselves as a local integrator to service extra local accounts. Now, yeah. interesting thing about it is I don't think Vega is the one helping guide the decision making of what technology is going in globally. I think those decisions are being made somewhere else. I think they're just acting as a local servicing arm for a lot of these big enterprise accounts. Now, how does that affect the local integrator? Well, that local integrator maybe was getting some business because of the fact, like Brock said, they were local and they could offer that extra touch because they had quick response times, but they're not behind. I mean, they the, that small local integrator is not affecting the global decisions of the large enterprise. So they're kind of in the tail end of this thing getting wagged around if, <laughs> if, if AVISPL owns that large global account and they've chosen Vega, that local integrator is kind of out because the decision will come down from some other country about who's going to do the business for us and what they're going to install. That said, I don't think it really is that dangerous for the small integrator. If they're not 
you know, working large enterprise accounts, I don't think the Vegas of the world are going after those smaller businesses. I don't think, I think they're servicing these larger enterprise accounts. So to your point about scalability, um, you know, I don't think a lot of smaller integrators, if they received a huge investment of capital, wouldn't even know what to do with it. And I'd say that tongue in cheek, but just meaning, do they have global expansion plans in the first place? I mean, do what, where are they trying to go and what about their business makes it so lucrative that it would invite that kind of investment? I think the companies right now that would be really lucrative are those like this global expansion. If a company wanted to start extending their services as a contractor for other companies so that you don't have to build brick and mortar, you know, facilities here or hire people on the street, let me be that contractor for you. I think that could be a lucrative play, but right now I think the big boom is in AV as a service. I think AV integrators looking toward being uh, software defined, remote management, provisioning, um, drop shipping AV endpoints, like, like Wolf Vision has all these all-in-one AV IT appliances, being able to drop ship that to a customer site and continually monitor it from afar and remotely support it. I think you're gonna see the rise of the AV uh, service provider, the rise of these companies that have long service contracts, they've got phone operation centers and, and network operation centers where they're continually monitoring customer sites for them and they're offering AV implementation on a monthly cost where you spend three, 400 bucks a month and you get your conference room and we'll take care of everything for you. I think that's going to be a big explosive market. And I think companies that start thinking that way, how can I start really offering AV as a service? I think that can invite a lot of investment because we're talking about building out telephone centers. We're talking about building out network operations and tethering an AV integrator to Network functions that AV integration typically says, I don't touch network. But a company that aligns themselves there could be lucrative because if you're talking about global service contracts now where there's a company in Indonesia or in the India remotely monitoring op operations for Honeywell in Scottsdale, Arizona. And if something goes down in the room, a phone call's coming. So that's going to open up a, a, an opportunity for global expansion and kind of tapping into the world economy of AV in, in business instead of just the U.S., you know? Yeah. And that right there, at least talking with, with MSP friends of mine who own MSP, managed service providers, um, the more recurring revenue, the more monthly revenue you have in, the, actually the, the, the more profitable and attractive you become if you want to sell it, if you want to get investment. Right. If you don't, then then you don't, don't worry about it. So, How can you guarantee right. you're going to get that next project? But if you've got a contract. Uh, a contract, you have recurring revenue and you can do stuff with that. So. Good call. Yep. Uh, all right, guys, that'll do it for us. Uh, Mr. McGinnis, thank you, sir. Uh, my pleasure. Uh, interesting panel today. It was uh, nice to meet both Mike and Chris. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, where do people find you or Avatas? Uh, well, uh, my email address is brock at uh, avatas.com. Avatas is A-V-I-T-A-A-S. Um, and uh, you'll also find me on the Twitter, uh, at Brock McGinnis. And uh, if you're running around ISE, uh, in a couple of weeks, you might run into Mr. McInnes, So I will be running. If you bump into him, apologize. Uh, but yeah, so <laughs> you'll see him in one of these 75 different halls at ISC. So. That's right. Uh, Mr. Lisi, thank you, sir. Glad to be here. Thanks. Um, yeah, my email address is michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L dot Lisi, L-I-S-I, at wolfvision.us. You can find us on the web at wolfvision.com. Uh, we will be at ISC in booth number one. M20. So Wolf Vision will have a presence there. And then I also saw right on the Vega website, our Synap Pure product is headlined in their scrolling pages on the home Very page. cool. So if you want Synap products, you can also call Vega. It sounds like they've yes. got you. If, if, you're in, if you're in the Asia Pac area, if you're in, in North America, 
Call somebody else. Call somebody else. Anybody. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Gibbs, thank you, sir. Yeah, thanks for uh, having me, uh, Michael uh, Brock. It's great to meet you uh, this afternoon. Um, Chris Gibbs, uh, Digital Signage Expo. Um, Digital Signage Expo. Uh, .net is our URL, and our event's coming up at the end of March, and um, the first day of the show is April 1st, April Fool's Day, um, and the first and second will be the two days. Uh, conference program, over 100 speakers, you know, I don't know 150, 200 exhibitors. Um, we're all things digital signage, and we'd love to see the integration um, uh, registrants continue to pour in. I mean, most of the companies you guys are talking about have um, uh, people that are come every year and they've already registered for the show. So uh, your audience is very important to us and uh, we hope to see about the event. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's a good, it's a good show. Good, good time. It's in Vegas uh, every year. So uh, if you want to go to Vegas in the end of March, 1st of April, yeah, good show to go to. Um, for us, for AV Nation, uh, go by the website, avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. You'll find this program and a host of others, including uh, our other weekly show, Resi Week, uh, where my buddy Matt Scott looks at the residential side of the AV industry. Uh, I mentioned Brock will be at ISC, as will we, uh, the entire week of February 11th. Uh, just announced yesterday, or day before yesterday, our tweet up, our annual get together of, you don't have to be a Twitter person, but you know it helps because you have handles. Uh, but come together and, and with our friends over at Poly, and we, we thank them for sponsoring this year's tweet up at ISC. Uh, come hang out with us on Tuesday, uh, 11th of February, uh, from 4.30 to uh, 5.30. You can register on our, on our website. Uh, also check out our ISC special section where everything is already populating. We've got tons of previews uh, from Mr. Blackman, Mike Blackman, the, the, the guy that runs ISC all the way through. So you can check that out also on our website. Also, while you're there, please check out our supporter section. These are the folks who help us financially, help us bring you AV Week and Resi Week and our coverage of ISC 2020. All that and more at avnation.tv. It's avnation.tv. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks so much for watching. That's all the time we have for AV Week. <laughs>